we had over six figures in debt by the time that I pulled the plug on it. While running Shadow, at the peak of it, we had $25,000 in expenses a month. That's before my co-founder and I even paid ourselves a penny. We had 10 people working for us, all on salary. We had a massive freaking WeWork office. I mean, so silly. Welcome to episode 18 of Webflow the podcast where we dig into the three biggest failures throughout the careers of successful web flowers. Because success often comes after learning from many failures. I'm your host, Jack Redley, a failure connoisseur. And today, my guest is Yannick Lawrence. Three years ago, he co-founded Shadow Creative Studio. Though he had initial success, hired staff, grew his client base, the agency work slowed. Yannick was forced to completely change his agency model. The three failures Yannick talks about are failing to spot that he was hiring and growing his agency too fast, failing to prevent debts, and failing to put in place processes and systems. So embrace and learn from failure in episode 18 of Webflow. Welcome to Yannick Yannick, it's a pleasure to have you. Podcast where we dig into the biggest failure connoisseurs. Definitely a fantastic title to have. Thank you very much. Yannick, often comes start learning from many failures. How you manage your time? You have set up this agency, and you've also got Prem. Do you have time to do anything else? I try to, um, you know, to, to be honest, time management has always been something that I've been super passionate about and I've tried just about every productivity hack in the books. Um, and sometimes I get too obsessed with it where I spend more time on my time management that I actually spend on doing the tasks. I read something the other day where it was like 90% of the time when you're trying to be productive, you're really just procrastinating. And I, I fall into that, that group heavy. Honestly, one of the things that has helped me a ton is I was on an accelerator program uh, in 2020 at the beginning of 2020. And near Ayal was speaking on the podcast or was speaking on the the accelerator program. I forget what Nier's book is called right now, but one of the techniques he has in it is um, called time blocking. And basically you just use your calendar as a to-do list. Everything that you try to get done, you put it on your calendar. And, you know, I've I've heard a lot of people talk about this. Tim Ferriss preaches this kind of technique too. And he basically says, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't get done no matter what it is. And you can get as granular as you want with it. Over the years, I've learned for myself that the more granular I can get with it and the more I can stick with it, the better my productivity becomes. Because one thing that I do a lot is, again, I make a list and then I make another list and then I make a list of the list. And it's just like constantly kind of planning ahead, but never actually doing anything. But if I sit down at my desk in the morning and my whole calendar is already time blocked out and I know in the next 30 minutes I'm doing this, then I'm moving on to this task, then I'm moving on to this task. It kind of turns my brain on autopilot and I don't have to think about what I'm doing. I just think about how I'm doing it. That has helped me a ton. And, you know, I really get as small with it. It's like I put my workouts on there. Um, I put call my mom on there. So it's like everything that you try to get into a day, you put it onto a calendar and two really interesting things happen. The first one is you realize that you have way less time than you think you do. You know, we all overestimate what we can do in a day. We underestimate what we can do in 10 years kind of thing. And once you start doing that and you, you start committing to new things, like a client request comes in and you're like, yeah, for sure. I'll get you that before the end of the week. You open your calendar and you're like, there's no way that I'm going to get this done before the end of the week. And then the other thing also happens where if you're consistent with it and you're planning, you're taking the time to plan the week ahead or the day ahead, 
your productivity just skyrockets because again, you don't have to think about, oh, is this the right task for me right now? Like, is this really what I should be doing? It's like, no, it's just, I've decided a past version of me has decided that this is the right thing for me. And I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to do it hundred percent. And then afterwards, you know, we can look back and we can see like, was this really the right thing? But right now in the moment, I'm just 100% committing to it. So that's definitely something that, that has helped me out a lot. Wow. Amazing answer. I was kind of starting out with like what I thought was a really easy question, but actually, <laughs> nugget straight away in the first few minutes of this episode, filling out your calendar at the start of the week with things that you're actually going to do and then just executing rather than thinking about what you're meant to execute. That's really, really good advice. So I was stalking you on LinkedIn earlier. You were a freelancer for a few years before actually coming to co-founding this agency. And I'm quite intrigued. A lot of people that listen to this podcast, they're either a freelancer who's starting out or maybe a freelancer that's thinking about transitioning from freelancing to agency running. So where was your head at a few years ago? You know, when you were a freelancer, you were doing freelancing. It sounded like you were quite successful. And then you decided to start the agency. Can you just run us through why that came about? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great question. I think it's such a valid question right now, too, especially in the Webflow space. A lot of the creators that I've been following over the last year or two, I've now had the chance to actually meet them in person at at different events. I was at State of Flow in Florida a couple of months ago, which was an incredible community-led event. I was at Webflow Conf a week ago, which was amazing. A lot of the conversations with these with these creators are around, oh, I think I'm going to start an agency. And it is really reminiscent of what was I, what I was going through about three years ago um, in starting Shadow. And now looking back, I, I wish I had someone to give me the advice that I'm about to give, which is really figure out why you're doing what you're doing. I think when I started an agency, when I went from freelancer to agency, I didn't even think about it. It just kind of felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. Like this is the the natural next step. I want to work with bigger clients. I want to sign bigger contracts. I want to take this to the next level. Agency is the only way to do it. And maybe potentially, you know, this was 2019. Maybe it was different back then too. And maybe that was the right answer. But I definitely think that today that answer is is completely different. I think that you don't have to start an agency in order to take it to the next level. I don't think that you have to start an agency to make the kind of money that you want to. I think it's a trap. And I, I commented on someone's Twitter post the other day and I said, um, whose game are you playing? And that is something that me and my mentor have been working through lately. And it's like, you know, we all get thrown into this world and then you go to school and then you go to college and you get a job. And it's just kind of you're thrown into this game and someone else is teaching you the rules and you just accept that this is the game that you're playing. And the game that we're playing is who makes the most money or who has the most Instagram followers or you know all these different metrics that an outside source has set for you. But if you take a step back and you say, what game am I really playing? That allows you to set your own metrics and it allows you to figure out how do I really measure success? Is it money? Is it Instagram followers? Or is it maybe how much time do I get to spend with my family? Or how many trips do I get to take a year? Or how often do I get to see my mom? Or how many coffee shops do I get to visit a week, right? It's like you can totally set your own metrics and you can win your own game. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. And I think that that's really important when when considering the agency route. And don't get me wrong. I think agencies are necessary. I think agencies are fantastic. You're looking at agencies like Ogilvy and Pentagram that completely changed the advertising landscape. And then you're looking at something in, in, in our 
space in the Webflow space and you're looking at companies like FinSuite and like Edgar Allen, we would never be where we are as a Webflow community without those agencies driving growth and bringing change and providing so much value to the community. And I think that the companies that they're working with as well need that kind of support. Now, with that being said, you can also go completely to the opposite side of the spectrum and you have someone like Grace Walker, who is very vocal about staying small and being solo and You know, she did 15 projects this year, which is an insane number. And yet she still just took a month off before WebflowConf, a whole month. Like you can't do that when you're running an agency and you can't, you definitely can't do it for a very, very long time. And I think that the, you know, the thought process for a lot of people is like, oh, I'll make more money or I'll work with bigger clients when I start an agency. But I think that that's not necessarily true. And, you know, from my experience, it's really hard to, to build an agency. It's really, really tough to get to that point. And I think that, yes, there is potentially a light at the end of the tunnel when you get to critical mass and you have a certain amount of people working for you and you have lead flow and you have like all these sales processes and everything in place. But I think that that is a five to 10 year process. I think that you really have to be okay with not making a ton of money, working a lot in order to get to that end state. And if that's your goal, then 100% go for it. More power to you. And I encourage everybody to try it if that's that's their vision. You know, the thing to also understand is, the thing that I learned is your day-to-day changes completely. You're going to stop designing. You're going to stop being creative. You're going to step into a leadership position. You're going to have to tell other people how to be creative. You're going to have to manage sales. You're going to have to manage finances. You're going to have to manage legal With starting an agency, like we were in California, the paperwork that you have to do just to get all your licenses and those kind of things, like that's a full-time job, you know? And me personally, I have made the decision that that is not worth the get. It's not worth what comes out on the other side. And I think, you know, what I've been really passionate about and what has led to the creation of Creme is that I believe that there is a third option. And I believe that especially in the space that we're in right now, there's a there's a middle option. And again, you know, we can get into this a little bit more, but I went freelancer to agency back to freelancer, but back to freelancer now in a very, very different way than back then. When I was a freelancer back then, I did everything myself. Um, I was the sales guy, I was the marketing guy, but I was also the designer and developer and everything, all, all the above. Then obviously going through the agency process, where I'm at now is I still do some work myself. I still take on a project here or there that I design or that I develop. But most of the time, I work with incredible contractors in this space that deliver the projects for me. So I'm essentially you know, a one-man agency at this point. There's nobody else on salary. It's just me. I'm paying myself. And all the work that flows through Shadow, I find a contractor that I trust and that I've built an incredible relationship with. And they deliver on these projects for me. And it's helped me scale. It's helped me give me the freedom and the flexibility that I crave after running an agency for so long. But it still allows me to make more money and allows me to take on bigger projects and allows me to move up in the world without taking all the risk that I took when starting Shadow. So I think that that's really important for for people to consider. It's like, it's not one or the other. There's a scene, I don't know if you watch Suits, but there's a scene where Harvey Specter says, when someone holds a gun to your head, there isn't just two options. It's not just give them what they want or get shot. There's 346 options. You just have to figure out which ones they are. Like there's so many different options out of this situation. You and I just ran through the same thing. Like I jumped on this thing. My 
camera isn't working on my laptop, right? And immediately we just start brainstorming on like, well, what the hell can we do? And now I'm here on my girlfriend's laptop because now this is working and it's, it's just problem solving, right? And it's like, don't fall into the trap to let other people decide what the options are. It's not just one or two. You can totally pave your own path and you can make it in, a, you can build it in a way where you're playing your own game and it's giving you the things in life that you are really passionate about, not that other people are passionate about for you. Let's now rewind the clock. Let's get into the failures. Tell me about failure number one, failing to spot that who you were hiring wasn't right and that you were growing the agency too fast. Yeah. So rewind a little bit. So early 2020, we lost our biggest client. Um, At that point, we weren't on Webflow yet. We were just custom dev. We were also kind of, it was just me and my partner at the time. And it was uh, a little bit of everything for everyone kind of agency. You know, like when a client came, we would Google it and watch a YouTube video. And it's like, yeah, for sure. We can do copywriting. Um, So it's like, you just delivered on anything that the client was asking for. We really had one client. We had a couple of smaller engagements, but we had one client, which was a big biotech firm out of Huntington Beach. um, And they were paying our bills. So early 2020, we were supposed to deliver the project, COVID hit, like so many different factors all at once. We ended up delivering the project, but a whole nother story that we can get into um, and ended up losing the client, ended up not continuing working with them. And we were down for the count. We really were. And like literally down for the count. There were nights and days that me and my co-founder spent sitting on the floor in our office and like trying to figure out like how the hell do we get out of this and um, joined that WeWork Accelerator program that I that I mentioned earlier, actually through that found Webflow, completely turned the agency around. Fast forward to the beginning of 2021, and we just absolutely catch fire. I mean, everything we touch turns into gold. Um, we're getting so many Webflow experts requests. We're landing every single proposal that we're putting out and we're flying high. You know, we're, we, we think we're hot shit. You know, we really do. We think that like, our shit doesn't stink and like we can do anything we want. So it's like, you know, let's, let's take the next step here and let's go to the next level, which was starting to hire people. And that's really, it's interesting now looking back because it was the first step that we took and it was already the wrong one, or at least the way we did it was the wrong one. We hired very, very fast. We kind of put up a LinkedIn post, you know, interviewed four people and hired three of them kind of thing. So it was no real vetting process, not really taking our time with it. There is a great saying in the startup world, which is hire slow, fire fast. So really take your time when hiring people. And if you even have like the inkling of a feeling that it's not working out, like you, you got you to gotta move on with that, you know, and you got to end that relationship. And it's tough to talk about it like that, but it's really going to benefit both sides because your employee doesn't want to be there anymore either. You know, if, if the fit isn't right, then they're not going to grow. So they're not going to get to where they want to go. So Hire slow, fire fast. The other thing that we did was we hired a lot of junior designers and developers versus a few senior designer and developers, which especially in the stage that we were at, which is I've never led a team. Um, we didn't really have a great process. I was a good designer, but I wasn't great at telling other people how to design, which obviously then if you have junior designers that are fresh out of college, they don't have their own process either. That's just an absolute recipe for failure right there. Yeah, I mean, that really came to a head too then, you know, at the beginning of 2022, which we can get into a little bit, but that's really where it started. You know, it was hiring way too fast, not taking our time to vet the people that are applying and then just hiring way too many people instead of trying to find that one right person. And now looking back on it, and I've had a lot of conversations about this, 
if you do consider the agency route and if you do consider hiring people, the, the thing that's really interesting is if you look at someone who's bad at their job and you look at someone that's average at their job, they're actually very, very close together on the spectrum. Like there's not a lot of things that are different between them. And then you have someone who's great at their job and the difference from the person that's great to the person that's average is so massive, like you can smell it kind of thing, you know? And it's when you see someone like this, when you have a conversation with them, when you interview these people, when they join your team, you can tell who's a superstar and who isn't. And you can tell right away. I've worked with a few superstars in my life and you can just, these guys just have it or girls. And it's just, you can, you can feel it. Like this is different. They were meant to do this. They're passionate about this. They know what they're doing. They're self-driven. They're self-motivated. And they're making your life easier versus then than making it harder. You know, um, there's a amazing designer and developer in the Webflow space called Mohamed Ukasha that I've been working with for a very long time. And he is a superstar. He really, truly is. And when he's, when I contract a project out to him and he comes back and he sends me a link to review it, I literally get excited. I'm like, this is going to be freaking awesome. Like go grab my popcorn and go watch this, you know, versus most people, when they send me a link, it's like, oh man, like now I got to, I got to put some time in my calendar to review this. I got to go through this with a fine tooth comb. And you know, it's like, it, it becomes a headache. Whereas like with Muhammad, it's, I know this is going to be fucking amazing. And it is every single time. One thing that I do want to say, and that I do want to make very clear is this is in no way, shape or form a dig at the people that we did hire because the people that we did hire were amazing people. They tried very, very hard. They fit our culture perfectly. And the year that I had with them at Shadow was one of the most fulfilling years of my life. And seeing what we were able to build, even though it wasn't able to stand the test of time, was very fulfilling. And it, these people were incredible. They were so bought in. They were working long days. And it wasn't their fault in any way that it didn't work. It was 100% my fault. I didn't give them the tools. I didn't give them the processes. I didn't give them the systems to succeed. Um, and I set them up for failure. So it had nothing to do with who we hired. I think it had more so to do with the fact that we just didn't take our time. We didn't figure out who's the right person for this. And when they come on, what are they actually going to do here? And how are they going to do it? And like answering all these questions before bringing someone on, that was the mistake, not actually, you know, the people themselves. Everything you said there made, made total sense. But thinking about tools, processes, systems before someone comes on, in my head, that seems really difficult. So if you were to go back in time, what tools, systems, and processes would you have put in place or how would you have thought about it differently before making those hires? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think um, one of the big things as well that I realized, one of, another mistake for sure, failure that I made at the time was we tried to do everything our, on our own. We tried to figure out everything by ourselves. Whereas there was no reason to do that. You know, it's think about if you were to go build a car right now, you wouldn't figure out how to build a car from scratch. Like you would look at how everybody else builds their car. You would learn exactly what all your competitors are doing. And then you would customize it based on that. Like then you would add your own spin to it. Right. Mm -hmm. But you would still get, you would try to get to the level where everybody else is at first before starting to innovate. And we didn't do that. We, we started to innovate from scratch. So we, you know, ran into so many issues and we kept banging our head into the wall, trying to make things work our way. 
And at the end of it, we just ended up where everybody else ended up because it's the right place to end up, you know? Um, so I think that that would be probably my suggestion. It's like, look at what other people are doing and, and talk to people in the space. And there's so much content out there that you can consume and just templates that you can follow and SOPs that are already out there. You don't have to create all the stuff from scratch. Like what you're trying to do in building an agency and hiring somebody has been done before. It's, it, it's not novel. You know, it's like you can follow other people's footsteps in this and get to where they are. And once you are where they are, like once you're on the same level as Finsweet and Edgar Allen, or maybe even Ogilvy and Pentagram, then yeah, knock yourself out, do something novel, like then start to innovate and do something crazy. But up until you get there, there's no reason to, there's no reason to innovate. And I'm not saying be, not be yourself, like definitely be yourself. Right. But I think, you know, don't try to reinvent the wheel because you're just gonna, you're, you're going to spend money on it. You're going to spend time on it and it's just not going to be worth it. And Mm -hmm. then on top of that, I think just hiring the right person, um, hiring somebody that has the chops to, yeah, exactly what you just said, you know, bring their own ideas to the table, bring their own process to the table and just have their own opinions, I think is going to be massive in that as well. Interesting. It seems that a lot of young agencies want to hire young people. And there's a kind of strange situation where you've got people like Chase Ahmed, who's I think 20, he's still at uni or something. Uh And he's, you know, and he's hiring people. So what would you say to someone who's very young saying, hey, look, you should really hire someone more senior than you because there's a kind of friction in your head there, right? Like, you know, you wouldn't tell someone who's older than you what to do necessarily. How, how would you go about changing your mindset to be like, no, you need someone who knows more than you who can help tell you what to do? How would you approach that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think you're absolutely right. In the space that we're in, it is a, a valid concern. Um, if you look at Bailey Fisher and what he's built over at Black Peak, you know, he is 23, I believe, and he has six people working for him. So it is absolutely incredible. You know, when I was 23, mm-hmm. I, I was cracking beers and like, I should not be trusted with anybody's salary, you know? So it's absolutely unbelievable where, where some of these people are at at such a young age. Um, but I don't think that it changes my answer. I think my answer stays the same, which is you got to hire people that are better than you. The reason why you're hiring this person is because they need to replace you. If they, if they don't scare you, like if the person you hire doesn't scare you and like, ooh, maybe they will replace me one day, you hire the wrong person. Like if you hire somebody because, again, you let your ego get into the way and it's like, no, I'm the man. Like nobody can be a better designer than I am. You're looking at it all wrong, right? The reason why you're hiring people, the reason why you're building an agency at the end of the day is still the same as where I'm making my decision from right now is you want independence. Like you want to be able to run a company that makes you enough money where you can wake up in the morning and you don't have to think about work or you don't have to, you don't, you never have to do something ever again, right? It's like, you can go to work, you can help your agency, but if you don't want to, you don't have to because you have all these incredible people working for you and you trust them and you got a process built. And this thing is just humming along whether you are involved with it or not. I would argue, and I could be wrong, that 90% 90% of people start an agency, that's their goal. You know, it's still independence. It's still being able to be above capitalism in a certain way where I'm not doing this for the money anymore. I'm making enough money and now I have the freedom to choose whatever I want to do. And the only way to get there is to hire people that are better than you at what they do. And I think the interesting thing too is to run an agency and to be 
a successful leader, I think you need to be a generalist. I think you need to be okay at a lot of things. And then you hire people that are great at one or very few things. So, you know, for example, when I was a freelancer, I was, again, I was doing sales, I was doing marketing, I was doing design, I was doing development, I was doing the finances, and I was okay at all those things. I wasn't great at any of them because I didn't have time to be great. But then if you were to hire somebody for sales, hire somebody that's an absolute sales Jedi and has it flowing through their veins, and it's the only thing that they think about all day, every day, because you can't. You have all of these other things. You have... 17 tabs open in your brain all day every day and it's hard it's hard to manage that right but if you know that jack has this one tab which is sales covered you can close it or you can at least start paying a little bit less attention to it because i know that the only tab that jack has open is sales so i think you you need to put your ego aside i think you need to hire people that are better than you yeah the the age difference just find people that are open to it yeah so hiring senior people they might not necessarily be older but likely it is if they're really really great at what they do they have years of experience so they may well be but hiring someone who's better than you as your first hire makes sense and it seems that so many people would opt for a junior person who's hungry and whatever but actually that might be to their detriment if they are trying to grow an agency and that just to piggyback off of that again led me to where I am right now and to, to the, the place where I'm running the agency from right now, because what I realized is that a lot of the most talented people in this space, in, our, in the Webflow space, whether it's designers or developers, they don't want to be hired. They want to stay independent. They don't want to have a full-time job. They don't want to have a salary. They've built what they've built because they want to be free and they want to be independent. So if I want to work with the best people in the space, I need to shift my model. I need to shift away from hiring them and shift towards hiring them as contractors and building a partnership with them as a vendor. That is, we see eye to eye versus you work for me. And if that's the only way that I can work with the best people, which, you know, like I just said, that's the key to success, work with superstars. Mohammed would never work for me. Like I would never be able to pay him the salary that he deserves, one. Two, it's not what he's been building his career towards. You know, it's not like he's just waiting for the right person to come along and hire him. No, he's building an independent contractor career in order to live the life that he wants to live. And if that's true, then we as an agency or even we as brands need to shift our thinking because working if working with the best people in the space is the goal and work and the people that are the best people in the space don't want a full-time job well guess what then you need to adjust and you need to figure out how you can give those people what they want so that you can deliver the best work and that's where creme comes in exactly exactly how you've shifted your model that's really interesting so a really interesting question from Mohammed um, here on YouTube is, was there a point that you that you felt like quitting when you were doing this agency? It sounds like, you know, you were hiring, 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 and you were like, yeah, this is great. Let's just get people to facilitate all this work coming in. And then it and then it didn't work out like you thought it would. And you told me on Twitter that you were in serious debt. It must have got pretty dark where you were like, you know what? Is this, is this worth it? What am I doing? What am I doing with my life? Yeah, probably like a year every single day kind of thing. Wow. And it was never quitting. It was never, 
I'll just stop doing this. But my out in my head was always like, I'll go back to freelancing. And I think that's because I was comfortable there. You know, I know what I was doing. I'm just by myself. I don't have the salary of all of these people hanging over my head. I don't constantly have to think about, oh, I got to make payroll on Wednesday, but it's just me. And if I make more money, I make more money. If I make less money, I make less money, but it's a lot easier to be flexible in that position. So it was never quit and get a nine to five job at Lululemon or something, but it was always... I really just want to be by myself again. Like I really want to get rid of all of this responsibility that I have for these other people. And I just want to do it myself, you know? Um, and I think that that's a bad, that's a poor response. It's a poor way to, to think about it mentally. You know, it's the manager that we've all had that just pushes you out of the way and just say, Hey, just let me do it. You know? And it's like, it's poor leadership style. And I tried to fight it. I, I knew that it was bad at the time, but it still constantly came up. And honestly, it just kind of felt the thought of going solo again, the thought of just being by myself felt like me running through a great field and just completely being free and music playing, right? You know, to get into those failures a little bit as well, like you mentioned the debt, we had over six figures in debt by the time that I pulled the plug on it. But while running Shadow at the peak of it, we had $25,000 in expenses a month. That's before my co-founder and I even paid ourselves a penny. We had 10 people working for us all on salary. We had a massive freaking WeWork office, which I want to jump back in time and just choke myself out for that one because literally everybody's going remote and we have to get the biggest fucking corner office. I mean, so silly. And yeah, so it was $25,000 a month that we somehow had to come up with. Payroll was every other week on Wednesdays. And for months, Jack, Wednesdays would come and I'm like, all right, let's see how, how we're going to pull this one out. And it would come down to pennies at times. You know, there was a time where at the beginning of this year as well, on top of that, we moved from Orange County to Denver. And so I had to move on top of that. It was a new build. We were hoping it was going to be turnkey. That was going to be, a, that was a whole nother experience. Um, it was not. And there was so much stuff going on with the house. We had a water leak the first week that we were here. They had to rip out the entire first floor and redo it and remodel it while we were in here. My office is in, on the first floor. Um, so I'm literally standing in our hallway outside, which is like barely enough space to put this desk. And contractors are constantly coming in and out of the house. So as I'm talking to you, like I'm talking to you now, I would just have to step backwards, let the contractor walk through in the camera, and then step back forward. And that's how I was running the company for months. So there was one time driving around at night, I, I was running errands or something like that. And I was talking to our head of operations on the phone because it was Tuesday night and Wednesday was payroll and we were short and we were this time significantly short. Usually we were like a few hundred bucks short and we would kind of like scrape it up from somewhere or we would give um, clients a discount for paying early. Like we got pretty scrappy with it, but this time was, we were thousands of dollars short and like there was no open invoices and it was just kind of like i don't i don't know where this is going to come from credit cards maxed out trying to get a cash advance on it no dice there either and i'm driving around at nighttime here and we're just brainstorming on the phone like we're just like you know we got to figure this out let's let's create a problem solve here and as i'm driving and we're going through all these options i remember that the day we left california as we're leaving i stopped at the mailbox and i grabbed a bunch of letters out of the mailbox and i just put them in my glove compartment and one of the clients said that they sent a check and we never got the check 
So I was like, dude, hold on one second. So I literally pull over into the parking lot, open my glove compartment, and there's a check in there. And we're safe. Like, we're safe another two weeks kind of thing. But that's just one of the stories. And that's literally how it was every two weeks for for months at a time. So yes, to get back to the question, yes, there were lots of nights and lots of thoughts of like, I'm done doing this. Like, I don't want to build this anymore. Um, This is way too much. I can't handle it. I was having serious panic attacks. I had two that were kind of like a warning shot and that I thought were a real panic attack. And then I actually had a real panic attack um, where I sat in my car for 45 minutes in the parking lot of the office and physically couldn't move. I mean, my phone was maybe six inches from my hand in the cup holder and I wanted to call my girlfriend to like help me. And I couldn't physically get myself to move to grab the phone. Um, and I'm just sitting in the car, I'm just crying, breaking down. And that's, you know, that was one of the events that was like a pinnacle event for me, but it's also this, the stress that comes with this and the stress, especially financial stress is such deep, cold stress that I was carrying with me every single day, you know, and it was, it was weighing on me very heavily. So yes, the thought of running out into an open field was definitely always there. Wow, this is the heaviest episode we have so far. <laughs> so at some point, you said enough is enough. And you didn't shut the agency. But what you what you've essentially done is you have kind of become a one man agency, which has contractors, So you've just completely changed the model of um, shadow. And you must have let go of these these 10 employees was that is that was that the case? And when did that, when did that come about? Yeah. So it was a gradual process. It wasn't like uh, I woke up one day and, and kind of just made that decision. So towards the end of last year, as I was moving as well, and we're, we're just in this position, my co-founder decided that he just doesn't want to do this anymore. Uh, he came from a nine to five world. He wanted to go back to a nine to five world and yeah, just, you know, get rid of, get rid of the stress. And I was left in a position where, do we just call it here and, you know, we split the debt down the middle and both of us just kind of figure out what we want to do with it. Or do I try to pull it out? And I decided to try to pull it out. I, I still felt that even in that position that, you know, I can turn this around. Like I, I can figure out how to make this work. And so that was at the end of 2021, um, beginning of 2022. Again, that's the story that I just told with the check in the glove compartment. And that's really how it was for weeks at a time. And I, 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 the one thing I'm very proud of is I really tried as hard as I could up until the very last second to make this work before firing anybody before, you know, making any sort of moves into that direction. I gave it everything I had. I really do think so. And it just, at the time, it just wasn't enough. And I think that we were already in the hole too far um, for me to just kind of turn around and dig us out of it. The final straw came when, you know, all of 2022, the beginning of 2022, I didn't pay myself a penny for about three months. And then in April, I had to actually put my own money back into the company just to make payroll. And so at that point, it's like, okay, like I, 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 there's, I can't do it anymore. Like we're clearly, we kind of just have to accept defeat here. And like, we failed. We, this is, this is a failure. We're not doing what we said we we're going to do. It's not making money. It's losing money. So let's pull the plug on this. So I let go of six people that one day, 
which was one of the hardest days of my life for sure. I mean, what I said earlier still rings true. These people were absolutely incredible. They were so bought into this. The one thing that we did a fantastic job at at Shadow was building the culture internally. And I really felt like I had a bunch of my friends working for me and having to let them go. And I think a, a big mistake that I made too probably was I never let on how bad of a position we were in. So they all thought that everything was fine. So then getting fired definitely came super out of left field. There's one conversation I had with um, a girl that was working for me. She was incredible and she was about to get promoted to creative director. And we had talked about that for a few months. And when I told her that I had to let her go, the look in her face, is going to haunt me for the rest of my life. Like it was just pure shock. Um, and yeah, really, really painful day um, to have to go through that. There is a silver lining to the story, which I'll get back to at the end of it. But that was a really painful day. I kept two more guys on, tried to run it with just those two guys for a couple more weeks. One more project kind of hit the fan again. And I just, I, I, I was tapped out, Jack. Like it was just, I, I think the way I let go of those last two guys was wrong. I did it very emotionally and I kind of did it very much on a whim. But at the time I was just, I had nothing left. You know, like I tried so hard to get it to that point. I kept these two guys on and then it just hit the fan again. And I was just like, I just, I can't do it anymore, guys. Like this is, if this is how it's going to be, then I might as well just do it myself kind of thing, you know? So um, I regret how I managed letting go of the last two for sure. I regret overall that other people had to be involved in this. You know, you have a, a podcast about failure, but the whole idea is that you learn from your failures kind of thing. And I wouldn't change a thing from what I've learned because it's gotten me to where I am today, but I hate that it had to impact other people. Like I hate that it, there had to be collateral damage because these people just didn't deserve to, to be put into that position. They gave it everything they had and they gave us their, their heart, you know? And so that was really tough. The silver lining, the really cool part is that the girl that I had to let go, who was supposed to be our creative director, we now work together on a contractor basis. She's one of my main contractors that I go for. And it's such a better working relationship. You know, we were paying her minimum wage. She was working overtime all the time and just getting burned out, you know, and now I can pay her a lot more. My margins are better. The client is happier. She can say no to projects when she feels overwhelmed. It's more of a partnership. So she pushes back on me when I am out of line, which she couldn't do if I'm her boss kind of thing. Like if I'm asking for too much or the timeline isn't right, she pushes back. So she's happier. She has the freedom and independence that she wants. She's making more money. I'm making more money. The client is happier. Like it is such a no brainer for me to, to go into that direction. Can you tell me about failure number two, failing to prevent debts, loans, and too much risk? Because I feel like Maybe this answers William Hope's question. What do you think the cause for this was? Were you babysitting the team or just not enough revenue? So two-parted answer, I'd say to that. I mean, honestly, in a service-based business, looking back on it now, we should have never taken on a penny of debt. Like it's, it's nonsensical. Why are you doing that? Debt makes sense if you're in real estate. Debt makes sense if you're maybe a coffee shop because you have to, you know, rent out a big space and you have to hire people and you have to stack up on inventory. Even if you're a D2C company, like maybe you have to order a lot of inventory. So debt is not always a bad thing. I think there are good ways, clever ways to leverage debt in your favor. 
Mm. Every rich person leverages debt in their favor, right? It's like it is a tool in your tool belt. But I believe that as a service-based business, you should never take on debt. You know, and we were racking up debt left and right, thinking that, you know, we were going to get hot again the way we got hot at the beginning of 2021. And then it's like, well, it's one contract. Like, what's one contract? We'll, we'll pay it back, you know? What we didn't think about is that, like, out of that one contract, our margin is like 3% because all the other stuff's already going to expenses, you know? So it's, it's that thinking that, like, somewhere I picked up that someone said debt is good and I just ran with it, you know? And it's like, that's not true, especially not in a service-based business. So I think stay away from that as much as you can. And, you know, what, I, what I'm doing now is there's zero risk exposure to what I'm doing. If I make, if I sign more contracts, I contract more work out and everybody makes more money. If I go dry and I have a couple of weeks or months where I don't sign any contracts, I don't owe anybody money. You know, it's like, it's, it's as simple as that. It's like you absolutely minimize the risk. You minimize your overhead. I work from home. I'm the only person on salary. I pay for Notion and Slack and Loom and that's it, you know, and it's, it's so much more freeing and you, instead of being put into this box where you have to take on work, you have to do certain things because rent is due. You're now in a position where you can completely, you're completely free. You can make decisions based on what you think is important versus what other people think is important. And you're not just letting money drive all the decisions. And I think that that is a very, very powerful thing, powerful position to be in. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm beyond capitalism at this point. Like I still have bills to pay myself personally. And I think that there's still times where I make more money and make less money and that's fine. And that's kind of like the world that we live in. And I'd rather do that than push papers at a nine to five every single day. So there's still a little bit of risk, but the goal should be to minimize your risk exposure as much as you potentially can. And um, to get to William's question, I think it was the opposite of babysitting. I think we weren't giving them enough. I think we just kind of said, here's a project, now go do it, you know, and not putting any processes into them or instilling any processes into them, not giving them the tools that they needed to succeed. Um, and just telling them, like, let's just go run it, you know? And I think that that works if Muhammad was working for me, but it doesn't work if somebody who's brand new to Webflow is working for me. So then it, you're actually doubling up on the work because then you have the person that you're paying do the work and then you got to do the work again yourself. So now you're paying for it twice. Um, which is painful and obviously not the way to run a business. And then, yeah, his, his other question, it was definitely not enough revenue. I think it was poor financial forecasting. We went hot for three months and thought that it was going to stay like that forever. But we also had no savings when we started hiring people, which is absolutely insane. I think that if you hire somebody, you should have at least three, probably more closer to six months of their salary in the bank that you just have there for a rainy day. Um, and not just hope that however many contracts you're signing today, you're going to sign the same amount tomorrow because it ebbs and flows, you know, and I've been doing this for almost 10 years now at this point, And that's just the way it is. You go months without signing anything. And then one day you sign four contracts all at once. It's never steady. So bringing steadiness through your savings and through your financial forecasting, I think can bring you a little bit of that sanity. So other question, yes, not enough revenue, no real sales process, depending on revenue that wasn't yet here, instead of building a financial model that takes savings into account. Like we should have been doing this ourselves for another year before hiring somebody. If we would have just gone 2021, just the two of us, you know, we could have had hundred, two hundred thousand dollars of savings by the end of the year. And then then you hire somebody. 
you know, because then like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like you tap into your savings, fine, you know, and then once the savings get low, you let go of that person. So it's like, it's again, minimizing risk in any way that you can, I think is the key to success. And it's the key to your sanity as well. Let's talk about failure number three, then failing to put in place processes and systems. What are the processes and systems that you failed to put in place? I mean, all of them, I think, is the answer. Uh, we really didn't have anything. And we good old kind of building the airplane while we were flying it. Um, like, oh, shit, we got people working for us. We actually got to figure out how to do this now. And it's it's really interesting. Um, and we can talk about my next chapter here in a second. But I have grown obsessed with project management. And it's so funny because flashback to 2016, 2017, I'm a freelancer. I'm living in Newport Beach. I got a man bun. I'm rolling around on a scooter. I'm paying 300 bucks in rent. And I'm just the most like anti-capitalism person you can think about. Like if someone just says the word meeting, I throw up. And it's like, you know, you're... My best friend at the time was working at Deloitte. So it's like the complete opposite of that. And like the bureaucracy is just through the roof there. And just the stuff that he was telling me and like all the acronyms that they were using. I'm like, this is the silliest thing. You like, you guys just don't understand how life works, you know? And I'm this 24, 25 year old kid thinking I got it all figured out, but I was no process whatsoever. Like, it's just, I do it on the fly. You know what I mean? That was seven years ago, almost eight years ago. Now I have come completely the other way where now it's, I am obsessed with process. Um, I'm obsessed with even the contractors that I'm working with. And this is something that is going to be heavily woven into creme is I believe the way to do your best creative work is you need just enough information, but not too much information. So if you don't have enough information and you're just kind of sitting there, you know, pulling stuff out of thin air, really, really hard to be creative. But also, if you have somebody beating you with a stick all the time, standing behind you, watching every single pixel that you move, really, really hard to also be creative. Mm. The sweet spot is somewhere in the middle. Like, give creatives enough information to just get started where they don't really have to think about it. It goes back to the first thing we said at the podcast with the, the calendar time blocking. Like, you need to remove friction from getting started. So anything you can do to get yourself started, do that. And anything that gets in the way of getting started, try to get rid of that as much as you can. So the next time you sit down and you try to do something, notice what you do first and notice what gets in the way of actually doing the valuable work. Do you have to go look at your email? Do you have to pull some sort of um, assets down? Do you have to like ping the client for the copywriting? Like what are those things that are stopping you from doing the things that you're actually supposed to be doing. Try to remove those. And that's something that I've absolutely grown obsessed with. And, you know, some of the contractors that I've worked with in the past now, and, and this is, again, going to be part of Creme as well, have seen the project dashboard that I've built on Notion, and I get obsessed with it, and I tinker around with it all the time. And it's all built around provide enough information to get started, but not too much information where it feels overbearing. Fascinating. Okay. And um, obviously, you're going to share this notion doc with us. Not shaking. <laughs> yeah, sure. I can definitely do that. Well, that would be amazing. If you can, I'd be so intrigued to see because I feel like sometimes with productivity tools, they are the least productive tools I have. I get so in the weeds of creating some kind of Gantt chart. 
and then uh, I never look at it again. And I've spent three hours, look, you know, and it's kind of like, and I've got so many of these different tools. I think all of us are kind of bombarded with different, um, you should try out this app and there's this productivity tool and, you know, track your time on Hello Bonsai and yada, yada. And it's kind of like, when are productivity tools a hindrance and when are they actually helpful? I think this idea of you kind of need a, you know, some kind of guidelines to be creative in, but not too many. Yeah. So kind of how did you come about finding that balance? And do you think you have found that balance? I think I'm still working towards it. I wouldn't say that I have found it. I also, and this is more a philosophical approach of mine, I believe that balance is a myth. I think it doesn't exist. And I think that if you do find it, you'll find it very, very boring because it's just kind of flatlining. I think the way to live life is to pendulum. I think you, when you're working, you work as hard as you can and you push into that and you, you push past the pain barrier. And then when you're relaxing, you relax as hard as you can. But if you're always trying to do both, like I'm not going to work too hard so I don't burn myself out. But then when you're relaxing, you don't really feel like you can relax because you didn't really work that hard, right? It's, it's a weird spot to be in where it's like, I would rather just go as hard as I can until I can't go anymore and then relax as hard as I can. And I think the same is true for so many aspects in life where it's like, you know, um, if you're looking at your diet, eat healthy when you're eating healthy, but eat like shit when you're eating like shit. Like if you're going to order a pizza, order the biggest pizza, get the extra cheese and commit to it and enjoy it, right? It's like so many people eat the donut and then regret eating the donut afterwards and it completely, it's a mood point now. Like now eating the donut is even worse because you're stressing about it. So I think on that, like I think balance is a myth and I think it's more about kind of swinging back and forth. Now on the tool side of things, I love a new tool. Like new tools are my love language, but I try to get away from that as much as I can because I believe it is a distraction. And in my past life, I was a CrossFit coach and also was super obsessed with nutrition and all those kind of things. And there's a really interesting effect that happens in in fitness. And I think it happens in other aspects of your life too, where your experience level compared to the output is a bell curve. So what I mean by that is when you're getting started and you know nothing about fitness, you're all the way at the bottom. Like your experience level is very low and the impact, like the stuff that you actually know, the way you live your life is also very low. As you're learning simple things such as don't eat a banana right before you go to bed, the small things that you're learning are having such a massive impact on your life and figuring out how to do the right exercises and and doing bench press more or whatever it is, right? Like you're learning, learning, learning. You're getting better because of your learning. However, there becomes a point where the, um, what's, there's a term for this and I can't think of it. Diminishing Uh, returns. Diminishing returns. Yeah. So where it's like the more stuff you learn, it's actually making you worse. So, you know, I got to a point where, and it, well, I'll flip this all into, into web design in a second here, I promise. But I got to a point where, you know, I got so obsessed with every single thing that was in my food where I couldn't eat anything anymore. You know, it's like, oh, seed oils are bad for you. Okay. There's seed oils and freaking everything. And then there's stuff called sucralose that's in every protein powder ever produced also bad for you. And it's like, you start spinning out, you know, you start spinning out because it's like, I can't have anything because you have too much information now. And what's interesting, what happens to people that have been in this space for a very long time, they come back down to where they started, which is, okay, so all I got to do is just track my macros, do five sets of three on bench press, and I'm fine. So it's like, it reverts back. So like, you go back to where you started. And I think the same is true for productivity tools and for productivity in general. 
I think when you're starting out and when I'm the 25 year old kid who is super anti-bureaucracy and like, I won't take a meeting and I don't have any sort of way of tracking my tasks. Once I find Trello, once I, you know, find things to, to manage my time and Nereal's calendar blocking, like my productivity is going up because of these things that I'm learning. But I think then again, you get to a point where it's, you're learning so much and you're thinking about it all the time and it's actually becoming a detriment to your productivity. You know, at the beginning of this podcast, I said like 90% of the time when you're trying to be productive, you're just um, procrastinating. And I think that that's true. I think that that number is just about right. And I can tell that it's, it's just about right for myself. So I think, and it's hard, but I think the, the answer is just get back to basics. Like there's, there's things that have been around, there's theories and tools and approaches that have been around for a very, very long time, most likely those are right. And most likely the new ones are just a distraction. And every now and then that's, that assumption is wrong, but most of the time that assumption is correct. So going back to the things that have worked for a lot of people in the past that have um, shown results, go back to those, go back to the basics, stop overcomplicating things and just, you know, find a tool that works for you, stick with it, stop overthinking it. It's not about how you track your task. It's not about how cool your dashboard looks. It's all just about the actual output at the very end. If anyone wants to ask you anything about this episode, there's a lot of things that you've said that are very thought provoking. I feel like you could go down the rabbit hole of so much of this episode. Where can people find you or how could people ask you um, questions about anything you've said during this episode? Yeah, I think Yaya's view on Twitter. So Y-A-Y-A-S view, probably best spot to find me. You can reach out at wearecreme.com, C-R-E-M-E.com to find out more information on that. If you are a um, contractor in the space or if you're a, just a designer developer in the space, would love for you to check it out. Would love your feedback on it, hear what you think about it um, so far. And we're really very early with that product still and trying to get as much input from the community as possible and hear from the people that are actually going to use it at the end of the day um, to build it into something that's valuable for everybody. So yeah, for me directly, Twitter, if for Krem, we are Krem.com. Before we started this episode, you told me some very exciting news and I think it would be appropriate to end the episode with this news. Yeah, so perfect timing for this episode because like I said to you, everything's kind of coming to a head and Shadow was down for the count. I was able to turn it around through exactly what I've been preaching here, which is keep it small, keep the risk low and just work with outside contractors. So, you know, all the debt has been eliminated. We're finally profitable as of the last couple of months. And now my next chapter is going to be joining ShapeMaker, which is um, if you've been around the Webflow space for a while, a fantastic brand and strategy agency. They are trying to take the next step into the Webflow world. So Shadow and I are going to be joining the ShapeMaker team to build out their digital studio called Polygram. So our splash page is now live. You can check it out at polygram.co. And the thing that I'm the most excited about is that we're going to be building out the digital studio the same way that I build out Shadow, and it's going to be heavily dependent on Creme. So very, very few employees at, at Polygram. It's going to plug into the Creme platform pretty much right off the bat, and it's going to provide amazing opportunity to these just incredibly talented creators. And I hope that that can be an inspiration for people looking to take the next step in their career. Here's this massive agency, and they could easily hire more people and, and go that route, but they've decided to go a more creative route 
think a little bit more um, long term and yeah, utilize something like Creme in order to build out their, their digital studio. So I'm really excited about that. Thanks for listening to episode 18 with Yannick. So many fascinating insights in this episode. The bit that really stands out to me is when Yannick talks about working out what game you're playing. A lot of time, freelancers think that to take it to the next level, work with bigger clients and earn more from their creative work, they need to start an agency. However, as Yannick says, there are plenty of freelancers that purposefully stay small, work with big clients and earn a very healthy living. You may think that you should grow an agency to earn X amount each month and possibly work with Nike, but question whether you genuinely want that or you think you should want that. Work out what your metric for success is. Is it more freedom and flexibility? Is it to grow an agency? Is it to earn as much money as possible? There is no right or wrong answer here in Yannick's opinion. Just ensure that you are playing the game you think you're playing. Next week, I'll be interviewing Maggie Morceau of East Hood Studio based in Toronto, Canada. Tune in at 4pm BST for that banger. Until next week, web flailers. <laughs>